Good morning and welcome to the podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. My name is Alex Stump. We are joined this week by one of my favorite people to talk ball with, Josh Taylor of KDKA and 93.7. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm good, Alex. It's uh, it's it's good to finally get some baseball talking. I think I have been so overwhelmed and overloaded with football offseason and draft stuff, and that's outside of you know doing dad stuff. So I'm actually getting a chance to get a little bit more my my legs under me with some more baseball talk. So I'm ready to go. Yeah. So baseball draft stuff. We're gonna start talking about. Today. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I love baseball it draft. Shows me that I don't know a whole lot outside of the top five. Let's go. <laughs> No, we'll get the we'll get the June and we're ready to go. Yeah, and I'm not looking forward to diving in quite yet for that. I need a little more exactly. time still. But I want to talk a little bit about, uh, or actually a lot about O'Neill Cruz, who I just made the trek out to Indianapolis to talk to for a little bit. We I don't know how much needs to still be said about Cruz at this point. Whether you know his development needs to happen at AAA at this point, if it could happen in the major leagues, is this a service time thing? Is this a fear that if he's called up, he could still, you know, be a rookie of the year contender and get that full year. There's a lot of factors in this equation. I mostly want to focus on him as a shortstop though, right now, because it's something talking to him in spring training, he made, you know, abundantly clear that, you know, I, I want to stick at shortstop talking to him on Thursday. He's like, that's my focus right now, but it's, it's not for the organization. They still value that defensive versatility. They still view him potentially as an outfielder over a shortstop. I don't think we've gotten your two cents on this, Josh. Where, where do you fall on the guy who could maybe be defensively better and contribute more as an outfielder, but could be such an absolute unicorn, you know, Tatis type of shortstop that you just kind of roll with the defense and you like okay, whatever, wherever it goes. Yeah, it, it's a really it's a really complex situation because it's not every day where you have a player at a premium position who wants to play that premium position, who could contribute at that premium position, and the team says, well, we know that we like him there, but we don't really like him there long term. It, it's really, really odd. It, it's, it, it, you hate to call it a good problem, because it may not be a problem with a good outcome, depending on how this plays out. But at the same time, it's kind of one of those curses of having good young talent, because now we're seeing that wave of good young talent, whether it's started, whether the guys that are starting to trickle into AAA more or the guys that are at Altoona, because those Greensboro kids are starting to move their way up and not to mention Henry Davis is at Greensboro, probably coming up to Altoona any moment. So all of that stuff kind of jumbles its stuff together. And sometimes you, you find yourself, you know, with the music stopped and there's not enough chairs sitting around. So sooner or later, someone's got to be moved to one. And I kind of feel like O'Neill Cruz is in that situation, even though he's the guy that's higher up than the guy that's beneath him that they may be warming the seat for, which is also kind of weird. But I feel like this is one of those things where I don't want to sound like overly optimistic or like I don't care about it. But that's one of those things where I'm not going to be as reactive about it. I feel like this is one of those things that, okay, this is going to play out one way or another. We just don't know where, because you know this as well as I do, Alex. When you see guys in not only on a major league team, but also in the minor league system and how they're developing and what, uh, or, what an organization's long-term plans might be, they might have this guy pegged here and this guy might be slotted here. 
And then something happens, whether it's an injury or something else just goes wrong and everything kind of gets jumbled around. And a guy who wasn't supposed to be there ends up somewhere else. Key example, especially if we're talking Pirates, no one expected Neil Walker to be a fixture as the Pirates' second baseman. It just so happened they wanted to get him in the big, big league club. They had a spot. Hey, we need somebody that can produce a second base. So they kind of had to crash course Neil Walker, kind of teach him the, the, the position on the fly, get him up and get into Pittsburgh. He becomes a second baseman. And everybody's like, oh, great. It, it wasn't the ideal path. So you have to be a little bit cognizant of that from time to time because it's not always going to be the way you chart it out from the player perspective or from the organization perspective. So I'm one of those people that thinks, okay, let, let's see how this plays out. Would I like to see O'Neill Cruz at shortstop? Do I think he'd be intriguing? Absolutely. Absolutely, I think he'd be intriguing. The bad intrigues me more, intrigues me more than anything. However, could they get more out of him as an outfielder? I tend to think they probably could. And I think that's where they're looking at it. And this is where, as a fan, you, you value what the player can do but you also have to remember, hey, at the end of the day, it's got to be what's best for the collective. If this doesn't help the team as well, then maybe it's not the best move. And you're at war with that a lot when it comes with guys that are either developing or just getting their feet wet in the majors. And maybe there's a, a an influx of guys, maybe maybe too many too many passengers and not enough seats, so to speak. So this is one of those things that I think will play out. I just hope it plays out the right way for both the organization and the player. See, I like the Neil Walker example, and I'm going to cite someone from last year with Brian Reynolds. Who, Perfect. Because Brian Reynolds, the left fielder, probably wins a gold glove. Like, I, I know he was nominated for one last year, but a lot of the metrics were kind of mixed on him. That was a lot more prestige that he has across the coach's vote. Not that I have, like, the actual vote in front of me, but it, it kind of signaled, like, this was more the coaches saying, yeah, he's good. And I test – He's fine as a center fielder, like actually right. both fine. I, I, I would say he's a, a pretty good defensive center fielder, but he's a gold glover and left. So now what do you do in that situation? Now, Reynolds, you, you can't take it away from him at this point because he's established himself in the major leagues. And I, Travis Swaggerty put it perfectly with me. It's like when you start an all-star game, it's a position that that's just your position. That's it. Yeah. There's no negotiating there. And no, Neil Cruz has not started an all-star game at shortstop. But there's no denying this guy is one of the most talented position players that has come through this organization in a long time. Like, when was the last time someone was this hyped up coming through? Was it Polanco? And I know people, I think it was Polanco. Yeah, I know people are going to roll their eyes whenever they hear Polanco, but mm-hmm. you can't deny it. this guy was one of the best prospects in baseball. He didn't pan out, and right. that's that's more an indictment to the player development that the Pirates had at the time. But that's where that is with him they're giving him a lot of reps at shortstop and i think he's only played a couple games actually in the outfield he's done a lot of outfield work defensively he's worked out that way so it's you know it's definitely still in the cards it's going to happen we are going to see him in the outfield at some point i have kind of reached the point that i don't really care though like if he's Mm. best at shortstop and it if it's going to give him peace of mind, you keep him at shortstop, you get that back going, and then you get this guy who could be a, a generational shortstop. Like, he's not going to be as good defensively as A-Rod. I'm just going to use that right. as an example. But I don't think it's out of, you know, the realm of possibility that he hits as well as A-Rod, you know, from the left side of the plate. Like, you just 
you just roll with it at this point. So I kind of don't care about the defensive versatility angle. The only, the only argument that I put stock in is Pagero in this because of what he is doing in double A. And I've been high on that guy for a lot, for a long time. You can't keep a seat warm for, for Pagero in double A. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. like you said, like as, as talented and high I am on him. And that kind of leaves like a, well, where does he go then? Does he go to the outfield? Does he go to second base? And, you know, Nick Gonzalez gets kind of left behind. I know Nick's not hitting well this year, but he's catching up. He's trying to catch up to fastballs, which is something he didn't really see a whole lot of in college. He didn't see this type of velocity. Mm-hmm. He's a talented hitter. I think he's going to figure that stuff out. You can't move him to third base. Pagara's not really, you know, a first baseman build. So, like, we got a long list of – where do you go from these guys? And I, I get that with Cruz, but until Pagero forces the organization's hands, I don't know why it can't just be Cruz at shortstop. And Brock, I think, is a terrific coach, especially for the outfielders. The outfielders will – you cannot talk to a Ben Gamble or Brian Reynolds without saying, like, you know, Brock is just a great coach. Wow. Like, like let's just accept that he, he could – he, Brock can teach Cruz the outfield in the major leagues if absolutely necessary. It kind of worked with Tucker and Tucker. It was always like kind of on a back burner, trying to get through everything there. I would think that would be a very real possibility. Just keep him at a way that he could get to the major leagues because I know he's not hitting right now. I think it's the slump is definitely overblown from where it should be. I think right. he's close. I think he'll be fine once he reaches the major leagues, actually above fine. But yeah. I, I can't – I get the value of defensive versatility, but it's not for everyone. And if you're not at this point yet, a Cole Tucker, uh, a Kevin Newman, no one has claimed that shortstop job yet. I don't know why you have to give it to a guy who's in double A at the moment. Yeah, and it's, it's, really, it's really a situation where you don't want to get too cute with it. I mean, yeah, no, you have no. a lot of options, but you want to get don't want to get too cute with it. And it it really could be. And I say that because it could get even more complicated if something unforeseen happens. You brought up Brian Reynolds. I bring this up often. If Starling Marte doesn't get into a collision and get hurt for that long period of time. Yep. We probably don't see Brian Reynolds when we did. Like it no. took something that unforeseen and that catastrophic to happen for Brian Reynolds to even be plugged in there. So if you start trying to 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 you know hammer and chisel some things in and something else goes wrong over here but you're too committed to this it messes everything up because i figured with kevin newman's injury when he was put on the 10 day i'm sitting there thinking okay so does this start the chain reaction but nope they called up a couple other guys that were on the 40 man and they kind of kept that machine moving i'm saying okay and back in my mind i'm going okay the, the slump is still a thing maybe they're trying to get him to build his confidence and and let Cruz get to the point where he's more comfortable in triple a so when he's ready he doesn't have to readjust to everything which is understandable from a development standpoint if you're looking at it with that lens on the other side of it i'm thinking well how many times are they going to continue to delay that particular chain reaction but sooner or later you're going to have to activate that next step mm-hmm. and something unforeseen out something else unforeseen might happen we have to activate the next step what happens if an, if an outfielder gets hurt does that start this chain reaction as far as is o'neill cruz we really don't know but it could take something like that that really forces them to make a decision and that might be the thing that kind of kicks this thing in the gear and, and 
I won't say it solves all your problems, but it does kind of open a window for you to start being a little bit more proactive and thinking a little bit more, you know, more aggressively with how this works. We're going to take a break right here. I think we, I think that's a good point to edit. it. Uh, we're going to take a break. Whenever we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of pitching. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And welcome back to the podcast to be named later. Josh Taylor here with me this week. Josh, I've talked a little bit about the pitching here in the piggyback situation. I'm going to be writing some more on this in the future. It's something that goes on in Indianapolis now. We're starting to see those piggyback starters. We're starting to see this is the approach that this organization wants to go. And if they have a, a one or a two or someone that they can hand the ball off to confidently for seven innings, they're going to let them do that. But if not, you're going to go through the order for one, one and a half trips, and we're not going to deal with that third time through those splits. How sustainable is this? Because we're no longer in the early part of the season where there were 14 pitchers. Mm. They, we're, we're Firmly in 13 pitchers, probably for the rest of the year. Maybe someone comes up for a little bit in the double headers and stuff like that. But this is going to take a lot more care. You don't have that one guy, the basically the middle reliever who could go in there. If this doesn't work out, well, I could just go out there and eat innings. Right. Which I think is the the guy that you need to have somewhere. You need to have that Tim Wakefield-ish type of pitcher that just – Okay, if it's a white flag, it's a white flag, but we're going to save the rest of the pitching staff and get through this game. Yeah, and there's only so much of Will Crow to go around, which yeah. makes this even more more complicated. And I think it, then um, I'm speaking more or less from my own background because I was lucky enough to cover a lot of college baseball. And during my time in, in Fayetteville, I covered the University of Arkansas. The, the day I got there, a month, a month later, Arkansas was the preseason number one. So I, I got to look at a lot of high-level college baseball up close. And you see a lot of piggybacking happening in college baseball. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, especially with, you know, larger conference, higher-scale college baseball, you're going to see your more traditional, you know, frontline starters on the weekends because those are usually when conference games are played. So your number one guy is going to pitch Friday, your number two guy Saturday, and maybe if not your number three guy, maybe a combination of your third or fourth best starter with maybe one of your better middle relievers piggybacking on Sunday. It can be a variety of things, probably depending how strong your starting pitching is. But during the week, you're probably going to get underclassmen that maybe start a couple, maybe start a game and pitch a couple innings and then piggyback with like a junior or senior reliever that probably needs to get some work or a guy that's probably one of your better relievers just to get him work during the week. 
that's when you see it happen a little bit more frequently. So when I started to see it happen in Major League Baseball, I'm kind of flashing a little Cheshire Cat grins. I'm going, all right, a little bit more <laughs> college baseball starting to eke into the pros. Like I, I like seeing stuff like this because it's, it's it's intriguing to me. Um, and then you see teams like Tampa start using it, and you're going, okay, I see where this is going. And then Tampa starts doing it with guys that pitch at Arkansas. So I'm really just at this point, I'm like trying not to just belly laugh at the whole scenario because it just it it just kind of tickles me. But from the conventional baseball standpoint, I can understand why this kind of catches people off guard, specifically with with this organization. You look at the 24 games the Pirates have played, only six of them. The starters either completed the fifth inning or passed the fifth inning. And people are going to look look at that and say, well, this isn't working. Clearly something's wrong here. So you look at those numbers and you think, well, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is piggybacking with this group has become a big deal. And to answer your question after the long form, the short form answer is it's only sustainable as long as the guys coming behind the starters are efficient. Because mm-hmm. I'd mentioned it before. There's only enough Will Crow to go around. Will Crow, 16 and two-thirds innings, 17 strikeouts, ERA around one. You're not going to get that from him the entire time. You need other guys that can at least, if they can't do exactly that, do something close to that. You need more guys that can do some things. Like it's nice to see Anthony Ben to come in and, and give you an inning here and there, but he's not getting the workload that a Will Crow is. You need guys that can give you innings. If you're going to have that piggyback role, they've got to be more efficient to keep runs off the board. Otherwise, this whole thing kind of falls flat. Because if you don't have a good guy coming in behind your starter that can carry things further, especially if you have a lead, because that's when it becomes more important, then a lot of this becomes moot and it looks a lot worse than it probably should be. So that's my thing. I'm worried about, especially with, excuse me, with the back of the bullpen being what it is. Sometimes I look at Chris Stratton and I'm wondering, is this is this part on the back end going to be sustainable? Because as strong as things looked at the beginning, for the record, I love David Bednar in the role that they're using him. It's more old school fireman. I love that. I love that aspect of it. And they trust Chris Stratton enough in the role that he's in. But the question is, do you have enough guys that can get the ball from the guy who starts maybe the short start? Do you have enough guys that can get the ball from that guy to a Stratton or Bednar? If you don't, then that's when this becomes a problem. And I like what you brought up with the second guy. And it's something that I actually haven't even put that much thought in because if the first, if the starter goes and he gets hit, it's like, we got to pull him after one or two innings. Right. You can adjust. It's whenever it's, it will happen at some point this year that Dylan Peters gets hit as the second guy. And then it becomes, Oh, now what do, do we burn Will Crow in this same situation? And then we don't right. have either guy for a couple of days. Do we, I, I, that's an interesting angle. And I also like, you know, bringing up the college side is like, oh, college games leaking into the pro game and pro game. And I don't know why my mind immediately went to like the RPO. Be like, yeah, that's <laughs> there's no way the college game can influence the pro game like that. Meanwhile, in the NFL, it's been doing that way. It's been that way for years. And I keep telling people like, um, you want to see what's happening next in the pros? Watch high school and college because it's coming. Give it a yeah. few years. NFL is always late with that. I, I made the same argument when it comes to the universal DH. As far as college and pro, because most college teams, they've got DH across the board. Most of the times in college, if the pitcher's hitting, it's on his day off when he's not pitching and he's the DH. It just that's just how it happens. And I've also made that argument as far as pitch clocks go, because most of the the power five conferences, they've got pitch clocks. So I've made that case for it, too. I'm like, there's a lot of instances where the college game is starting to eat to the pro level. But I made this case the other day because there was a, a, a minor league. Video. I want to say it was. I want to say it was the Texas League. I want to say it was the Midland Rockhounds, 
and a player stepped out of the batter's box between pitches. And the umpire charged him for a strike and rung him up. And everybody's like, see, well, he didn't even take that long. I'm like, you're missing the point. He took uh, he took both feet out of the batter's box. The rule is you have to keep a foot in. And I said this on Twitter. I said, that's been a high school rule for a couple decades now. I played high school ball 23, 24 years ago. And by high school ball, I mean, I wore a uniform, sat with the team, and got on the field occasionally. <laughs> but here's the thing. I might not have gotten a lot of ABs, but with the few I got, I knew I had to keep one foot in that box between pitches if I didn't foul a pitch off. I knew that 23, 24 years ago. And high school players that have played in the last couple of decades know that. But this is what happens when at the highest level, you're not adapting as frequently with the times around you. There becomes a disconnect between what's happening at the pro level and what's happening at amateur levels. And sometimes the twain don't meet. So that, that's kind of where I'm stuck with that. And, it, and piggybacking is another example of that. So it, it, it is a, it's a great thing in theory. So when you see Tampa do it and actually pull it off, you're thinking, oh, well, maybe it's easy. It's not. Tampa just happens to have a group of pictures, pictures that they develop so well that they can plug in the next guy and make it work. And if you don't have that group, your group of pictures, especially that second guy that's reliable, it becomes a lot harder to pull it off. And that's it is going to come down to the development. And I mean, Dewey Robinson came from Tampa. That's a good guy to have in there. I think Josh Hopper is doing a terrific job in that. John Baker. Absolutely. Obviously. But I think that's going to be the real test of does this work whenever it's not bring up Chase DeYoung, bring up, you know, this guy we claimed off waivers, bring up. And, and it's a guy that you developed and you saw all the way through. And it's like this guy is the number 20 prospect in baseball and a lot of teams would just put him as the fifth starter and we're going to put him in this role because we just have this much uh, pitching depth at the moment i guess i should should say number 20 in your in your organization not the right number 20 in baseball that would be a different situation if like a, a Contreras or someone gets put in that spot but no that's i think that's something that's going to really determine how successful this is and right now this is more just the preview and i'm, I'm actually gonna like i said i'm writing a piece on this i'm gonna steal a quote from uh riley haydad who is the game plan and strategies coach and a big part of this for the organization is like this is per- version 1.0 hmm. like this is this is not you know a finished product we are still we are learning like we are taking our best educated guesses at this moment but we are still learning and we can't pretend that this is going to be the you know final product that we're going to see in 2023 2024 maybe even september so that's i think a very interesting way to approach all of this will this work i think it's definitely worth the experiment because we've seen so many times i'm I'm going to cite someone who's been on this show and who i think very highly of as a pitcher max kranick who didn't have good third time through the order numbers but now has a couple extra ticks of the fastball. It's like, why, why would we bother with this? Like go through the order once and bounce, like, mm. give, give, give three innings and hand the ball over, be the most valuable version of yourself. If the whole point of this player development is to find the unicorn for everyone and, and maximize that maybe for pitching, it, it does need to be one or two pitches Let's just throw those out. We're not going to worry as much about the change up or anything. We're just going to throw your best stuff and you give us as many outs as you've got that day. That was John Schurholz's theory way back when he joined the Braves from the late 80s going into the early 90s. His thing was he went to some of the pitchers in that Braves system. He said, what's your best pitch? And they said, oh, it's this one. He says, okay, throw that. 
Worry about the rest later. Let's get you established with throwing that one. And then once you become better at throwing that and that gives you more success, then we'll introduce the rest of the stuff later. So it, it's mm-hmm. it kind of in the spirit of that theory. It makes perfect sense to me. How did that Braves team turn out, by the way? They were pretty good in 91. They ended up going to the World Series. They went from worst to first, which is pretty interesting. So at least I, that's if I remember that correctly. Yeah, I don't think any Pirates fans have any recollection of 1991 <laughs> or 92. Yeah, let's not talk about that in detail. No. Hey, we got a little more show to go here. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the podcast to be named later. Josh Taylor, Alex Stumpf here with you. Just one take to close this show off. Josh, you're the guest. What do you got for us? I know there's a lot of frustration and I won't call it panic yet because it's only early May. And, and I don't think panic is a word to associate with this team in its current state. But I know there's a lot of unrest, maybe the word we'll use. I, I will cite two things. I will cite what's going on in Cincinnati and what's going on in Oakland. Things could always, always be worse. I I know that's kind of perspective that people don't want to hear right now, especially at this stage of what this organization is trying to do. But if there's anything you can take any kind of small solace in, at least this team is trying to complete the upward part of the curve, as opposed to facilitating the downward slope of it. See Oakland, see Cincinnati. That's those are the things you look at and say, okay, if if you really need perspective going into maybe even going to the weekend series with the Reds, look at what's been happening in the last couple of weeks. Look what's been happening in Oakland. If that's the thing that gives you perspective, start there, because as, as frustrating as this looks and as worse, and I'll say even this much, as worse could things could be going individually just for this team alone. They could be a lot worse across the board. So if you need perspective to kind of get you through it, start there because things could always be worse. I'm going to build off that with the Cincinnati Reds take because this is something I said back whenever they were in Chicago in, in private. I'm like, this team could be like the 03 Tigers, and I don't think Oof. they've won a ball game since then. So I'm just going to say it out in public. This team could be the 03 Tigers. Like this is this is bad and I, I think the, the lockout has something to do with it because it's one thing that if over the course of, of an offseason, whenever you lose a wink or you lose a Suarez, you lose a Barnhart, you lose a Miley, you lose like just this laundry list of good ball players that they lost. It's another whenever almost almost all those guys happen and you see them leave the locker room. Mm. Like how many times do we see a team just kind of throw in the towel after the trade deadline whenever they have a fire sale like that? It's different whenever it's at the beginning of the year and you actually have to say goodbye to Jesse as he walks out the door, whenever you have to say goodbye to an all-star like that. So I, I think what they have injury problems at the moment. They don't have a whole lot of depth to start with. I don't think they are going to be three and 22 bad the whole way, but yeah, I think there's a very real chance that they, they are, you know, 2003 tigers bad. And I'm actually going to pull up a calculator here because they're three and 22 at the moment, right? Yes. Okay. So 
that would mean they would have to go 37 and 118 the rest of the way. Oof. Multiply that by 162. We're talking like a 51 game win pace, which I, I think if you just ignore this first part of the season and you're like, okay, they play at a 51 game pace, that'd be, if I said the Reds are going to lose 110 games at the beginning of the season, you might have raised an eyebrow, but it would have been outside of the realm of possibility here. Right. Saying they're going to be at a 110 game pace the rest of the way. I don't think anyone's going to raise an eyebrow there. I think we got a real shock here in history. I mean, and, and the 2019 Tigers weren't too far behind. They only won 47 games. I mean, there, yeah. there's there's some pretty infamous looks at it. I, I had this discussion with a friend of mine a couple of days ago. So we were talking about how bad the Reds were. I said the Reds now are what, are what Pirates fans think the Pirates are going to be. Yeah. It, it's like that's every time. Going into this season, past couple of years, oh, they'll be lucky to win 40, 50 games. I'm like, you don't realize how bad you have to be to do that. You've got to be really, really bad. And sometimes you can't, sometimes teams can't be that bad on purpose because teams try over the past couple of years, Alex, to be that bad, to put them, set themselves apart. Because we've seen what Baltimore have done over the last half decade or so. So oh, yeah. seen teams be bad sometimes on purpose. And it's hard to be that bad. Tanking's a real issue in this sport. It's an issue in all sports. And unfortunately, the worst part is, like, not to say that the 2020 Pirates tanked. I mean, they could have quite clearly gone above and beyond and, like, had a fire sale and and everything with that. Like, I don't think that was a real tank job. I think that was a a genuine let's see what these guys have, and it didn't work out. It was Um, a convenient time to experiment. It was a very convenient time to experiment is the very diplomatic way of putting that. (laughs) Uh, but boy, oh boy, were they rewarded with that draft, with all yeah, that draft are. pool, and they got the number one pick and Henry Davis, who just needs to go to Altoona already. There's nothing left yeah. for him in Greensboro. And then they it's got time. three other first-round talents in that draft. It's like, boy, oh boy, did they sure not get punished for <laughs> finishing with more than, with what, 1941? That was it? Yeah. Well, to, to paraphrase Rick James from Chappelle's show, tanking is a hell of a drug. <laughs> so... We're not going to do better than a Chappelle show reference on the show, man. We're, we're really not. Josh, thank you so much, man. Follow him on Twitter, HD Josh Taylor. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Wherever you find fine podcasts, you're going to find this one too. Here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again next week.